How many of you love the Spanish song that was there? Amen. You know, one of the things I challenged my students at Sagu with, and, you know, I was like, you look around, our neighborhoods don't look like us. Not all the people in our neighborhoods look like us. The increasing diversity we see in our neighborhoods, right? We see an increasing diversity in our neighborhoods. Why does the church, we need as the church, need to reflect that same diversity, amen? And like, like Brother Dan said, around the throne, there'll be people from different nations, different tongues, worshiping God, amen? And it just reminded me of home, because again, at home, we have so many. In one service, there are probably five, six different people speaking different languages, but it doesn't, you don't have to know the song to worship God. Amen. You don't have to sing the words in Spanish or sing the words. In the, just worship God in his presence. That's all. That's why we worship God. Amen. It's, it's amazing. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is good. Hallelujah. This morning, uh, I'm starting a new series on the book of James. And I've been working on this and dealing with this and meditating and praying on this since, I don't know, way back. Probably like February when I started too. And the book of James is easily uh, one of the most practical books in the Bible. And it really challenges me. And I'll be honest, it makes me mad. Because it is brutally honest and it kind of calls me out. It kind of calls me out. It's like it throws it in my face. Okay, Sid, you call yourself a Christian. Now show me by your life that you really are one. And it also makes it hard to preach. It really does make it hard to preach because a lot of people think it's a personal attack from the pastor. But these really aren't my words as such. These are words from the Word of God itself. And they're not meant to hurt you or to offend you, but it's meant to challenge you. Again, let me be straight up with you guys. I will not sugarcoat the Word of God. I will try my best to always stick true to the test. And so I can guarantee that this book and this series is going to make you mad and upset at some point or the other. But here's the thing. You can react to this in two ways. You can be mad about what it says. Be mad with me. Call me names and shut down. Or you can allow the word to challenge your hearts to grow in the Lord. And I I pray it's the former because, you know, like I said, this book. It embarrasses me sometimes because I just have to like, man, I got to do better. But it's not meant to humiliate us or crush us either. You know, it is, like I said, it's a challenge. And I hope you all will allow it to transform your lives again. Because one of the most common phrases I use as a teacher, especially, I find myself using these words saying, grow up. Because I see these kids arguing with each other and all I do is... Guys, settle down. Just settle down. Grow up. And they whine about stuff and they act like kids but want to be treated as adults. Now, I've counseled several couples too. And the number one problem that I see is that sometimes these people don't want to grow up. Because the husband wants what he wants and the wife wants what she wants. And there will never going to be an answer till they all grow up and start thinking about the other person more than themselves. And I think immaturity, I think, is one of the most, one of the most common, um, one of the main reasons for a lot of trouble in the world around us. And we get ourselves into a lot of trouble because we sometimes say and do things, say immature things, make immature decisions, act in immature ways. We just need to grow up sometimes. And like I said, this book challenges you because God's will is for all of us to grow. To grow spiritually, emotionally, mentally, relationally. To live a balanced Christian life. And I really think again that this book, the book of James, is the benchmark. The benchmark to measure our spiritual growth, our maturity. And I've used for this first part is just a... Kind of like an introduction to the book of James. And I've used a lot of my notes from different places... Because how do we get or how do we know that we have arrived? 
And I got to start with some things first. What it is not, spiritual growth is not, a maturity is not. Number one is spiritual growth, a maturity is not determined by how old you are. It's not determined by how old you are. Maturity is not age. It has nothing to do with how long you have lived or how long you've been a Christian. You know this. You can be a Christian for 50, 60, 100 years and not be mature. You know that already. How many of you have seen this uh, t-shirt design? If you have that there, there's a t-shirt design that says this. I may be growing old, but I'll never grow up. I may be growing older, but I'll never grow up. Now, that's cute on a t-shirt or a mug or something. But not, in real life, it's pretty annoying. Especially in the church. Because I've seen some 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever number of people who have this attitude. I may be growing older, but I never grow up. So maturity has nothing to do, spiritual growth has nothing to do with age. Number two, spiritual growth and maturity is not based on your appearance. It's not based on your appearance. Now, some people may look mature. They may dress mature and like walk around or strut around basically. And look more spiritual than the rest of us. They always have the Bible in their hand. And you know, they probably memorize a million verses too. They look all dignified and they look all holy. And for the rest of us, it kind of gives us a bad complex, you know. The fact is this, real spirituality has nothing to do with the way you look. Has nothing, you may act spiritual But it really doesn't mean you're spiritual at all. There's nothing to do with your appearance. Number three, spiritual growth and maturity is not based on your social status. It is not based, all your accomplishments are not evidence that you are spiritually growing or mature spiritually. Because you can accomplish a lot of things and still remain very immature. Because you can make millions of dollars and hang out with the, what you call the elite crowd as such. But you can still remain very immature. And I always think of the example of these athletes. They make millions of dollars. These are young men and women who make millions of dollars. But somehow they end up getting suspended because they're doing something really immature and ridiculous. You know, whatever it is, doing something whatever smoking weed going to strip clubs getting into fights at these clubs and all your millions of dollars and all your fancy clothes and your fancy cars don't count for maturity number four spiritual growth and maturity has nothing to do with how educated you are all your qualifications as such it doesn't matter how many degrees as such you have got or how much you have studied you may, be, you may have got a 4.0 your whole life in school and in college or whatever. But it doesn't mean that you are a spiritually grown, mature, complete Christian. And I seriously, I mean it seriously. I tell a lot of Bible college students, especially in India, you know, because they come from these village churches where most of these pastors aren't even, I mean, they haven't finished 10th grade as such. And these kids come back, they come to college, to this Bible college, and they get their education in Greek and Hebrew and everything else. And somehow they go back and they think they know so much more. And I got to remind them, hey, just because you have studied a lot more doesn't make you a mature Christian as such. I don't know if you all have heard the testimony of my family and if my mother probably shared this or I've shared this. But how my family really came to know the Lord as such. There was one lady who was instrumental in bringing my family to the Lord. She, she's, she's a lady who lived in our neighborhood. And the only reason we really came to know her. Most of you know my mother. Uh, and she's a teacher. And the reason we came to know this lady is because she used to bring her letters that she got to my mother to read. And for my mother to reply. And then she'd mail it. Because she hadn't studied more than second grade or third grade. Somewhere there. Right around there. But the only book she could read and preach from was the word of God. 
And something like that happening changed the life of my whole family and changed my life too. Because we saw God's hand in this lady's life. It's a real testament. She could not read her own letters, her own mail. But she could read and preach with authority from the word of God. So it doesn't matter how many degrees and how educated you are. It doesn't add up to spiritual maturity. Spiritual growth is measured. Spiritual growth is measured by the change in our attitudes as we grow up. Change in our attitudes because attitudes are what make the difference. It's our character. That's what builds our character. It is what is you are really your metal as they call it. You know, it's, that's what you are really made up of on the inside out. And that has that really changed and developed and become complete. The word is the same. Teleos is the same word in the Greek. Mature, complete. Has that changed? Because listen to me, church, your attitude determines whether you are mature or not. And God wants us to grow up and grow in a Christ-like attitude. Christ-likeness. How do you measure spirituality? It's not how long you've been a Christian, how long you pray, how loud you sing, how much you jump around and how many different tongues you can speak in, you know. And it's definitely not comparing yourself to someone else. It's by comparing yourself to the word of God and seeing if it has really transformed your life from the inside out. And again, I say the book of James is such a yardstick to measure and challenge our spiritual growth. Again, the word is teleos. The idea is maturity, completeness, perfection. Are we growing towards that? And I've listed five tests of spirituality. Five tests of spiritual growth and maturity. I've listed five of them, I think. There are probably more than that, but five because there are five chapters in the book of James. That's it. Nothing. There's no secret to it. Number one, the test for spiritual growth and maturity is how do we handle pressure? Our attitude when we are put into a situation that is really hard for us. It's a good test is how we deal with pressure because mature people are positive under pressure. Positive under pressure. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How do you handle trials? How do you react when life hits you and when it hits you and it's so unfair? Do they blow you away? Do, they, do you just get all stressed out, all wound up, or just shut down? Or do you just get negative every time something bad happens? Do we grumble and gripe? Or how do we handle the problems that life throws at us? I always say this. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is more like a lifestyle. A lifestyle that's patterned after my Lord, my Savior, my Master, Jesus Christ. It's a lifestyle. It's a choice, like I said, we make. And life, again, as long as you live on planet Earth, life will bring problems. That's just part of being, like I said, human, is facing all these problems. But the challenge is to be like Christ and face it with the right attitude. Facing it with the right attitude. What is your natural attitude when the problems come along? Is your natural bent? Are you naturally bent towards doing it like what Christ would do? Do we get easily irritated and frustrated or bent out of shape? Now listen to me. I, I get mad. I get hurt. I get frustrated. Especially, especially when I see some people make poor choices in their life. That's just a natural reaction. But here's the difference. I do not dwell in that place forever. Even though I'm mad and frustrated. I'm mad God. 
I don't dwell in that place. What I do, and this works for me, I go into my car and I scream at God. Probably bump my steering wheel a couple of times too. I just go talk to God. God's not afraid of how I feel. And so that's the way I do it. I, because I realize from experience, my own experience, the longer I stay in that place of frustration and everything else, I become bitter. I become bitter. And when I become bitter, my attitudes change towards everything else happening around me. And so what I do is I just go yell at God. Like I said, I'm not mad at God, but I just let it out in front of God. I don't deny the situation or pretend it never happened or spiritualized the situation, you know. And I found, I found the, this to be true in my, my, in my life. When I let it out, it does not change the situation I am in, but it changes me. It changes the way I can react. It doesn't change the situation, but it changes my attitude in the middle of that situation. It doesn't change the person, but it changes the way I look at that person. And my attitude changes to, okay, come on, let's go figure something out. How do we react under pressure? Are you a negative or a positive person? Are you basically a supportive person? Or are you always skeptical person? Are you a I told you so kind of person? Or, hey, come on, let's get this done kind of person? Is your life filled with gratitude? Or are you always complaining? Are you affirming? Or are you always tearing down? All depends on your attitude. James says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, there will always be tests in our life. But when we stand the test, that's when we become complete. I was talking to Nate about, you know, because the truth is life either makes you or breaks you. The trials in life either make you or break you. And I was talking to Nate about this just this past week about the Boston Marathon. And sometimes, you know, there's a uh, bus marathon is 26 miles, right? 26 point something, whatever miles. And they have something called Heartbreak Hill. That's right around the 23rd mile. And it's called Heartbreak Hill because it's an incline, only like less than half a mile. And it's like half a mile incline. And it's called Heartbreak Hill because a lot of people have made it through all the way to 23 miles. And then they just give up right there because it's a lot. And they call it heartbreak for a reason, heartbreak uh, hill for a reason. Because people quit right there. And I was thinking about it. That's when the devil really attacks us is when we are tired. It's when we've run that race, we've gone through, you know, the first five to ten miles is, is, you know, you have that wall that they call as a runner, the wall. Once you get over the wall, you kind of just become, you just keep running, 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 running. And so you've just got over the wall and now you get heartbreak hill coming up. That's the way the world acts. That's the way the devil acts. It's when we are down and out, that's when he beats down on us even more. Because he knows when we are strong and we're so, everything is going well, he can't get to us. But it's when we are beaten down, that's when he really attacks us. But the truth is this, when we come to heartbreak hill in our lives, we've got to overcome by what? The power of his word. Our attitudes are dependent on the word of God. Real growth is determined by your attitude under pressure. Because again, you can have a lot of knowledge of the Bible. And this is true. You can have the Bible memorized from cover to cover, but still be the crappiest person to ever be around. I'm sorry, I don't know if that word's allowed here in America, but you know what I mean. Because you can memorize this book back to back, from cover to cover but still be the most miserable person to be around. And let me say this. Please don't use the excuse, that's just who I am. Please don't ever use that excuse. Because just you saying that proves that there's too much of you living in you rather than Christ living in you. You've got to do it. I'm not denying people's personalities. I'm not denying that we have different personalities, but that's not an excuse. To be ugly in your attitude. Now you wish there were other people in church too, right? This message is for them. <laughs> you need to text them and tell them, listen to the message, it's just for you. 
book of James is brutally honest. I told you and I warned you already. Spiritual maturity, spiritual growth is measured by our attitude, our attitudes under pressure. Number two, spiritual growth and maturity is determined by our sensitivity to others. Are we sensitive to words, others? Are we really, genuinely, that's the word, genuinely sensitive towards others? Or do we pretend, oh, that we're really interested in their lives? James 2.8, it says, if you really keep the law, keep the scriptures, 2.8 says what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Then you're doing right. Love your neighbor as yourself. The truth is love, it's sensitivity towards other people. And a truly mature, grown Christian is sensitive to other people. He doesn't always look for his own needs. He sees others' needs and is conscious of the other person around him, other people around him. He understands their hurts. He's not just interested in all the wrong that has gone against me. You know, I always think about this because kids cry because they don't get their way. And the reason is because they're immature. Because they always see themselves, I want this, I want that, you know, and I don't care about anybody else. That's why it's hard for kids to share. I mean, we try to teach Alyssa and Aiden to share, to try and think about how the other kid there in the room feels. Hey, why don't you share? It'll make him happy too. That's a concept they don't get automatically. It's the same thing as us, as spiritual beings, as Christians. It's the same thing. Are we sensitive to the needs of those around us? Because we don't. Sometimes we're so caught up in our own bubble. We are not conscious of the pain our words, our decisions make on someone else's life. Genuinely concerned for other people. Get a chance to read James chapter 2, you know, and just reading one part of it. It says, don't show favoritism. Don't be a snob. Don't look down on other people. Don't judge by appearance. Don't insult people. Don't exploit people. Just read that whole portion in James and you see how he talks about that. So the question is, how do you treat other people? Do you genuinely care about them? I love what Paul says. I may win, and I'm paraphrasing, of course. I may win all the kinds of people to the Lord. You know, I may build great churches. I may be on television. I may give all my money that I have to the poor. But if I don't have love, what do I am I? Just a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal, because I don't know how to love. Do you? Let me say this, when you genuinely love others, you will care about how they are doing. Not just about how they're doing, but how they are feeling. I know it's a touchy subject because I can't always base my life on how people feel about things. But I promise you, the Holy Spirit will guide you as you make those tough decisions. Being sensitive to other people. You cannot live your love, your life with it's my way or the highway, or it has to be done this way, or otherwise I'm just not going to be part of this. Always reminds me of this, and I've probably shared this story, and he's a good friend. I wanted to score, but as kids, I remember, he was the guy with the soccer ball. Always wanted to play forward, always wanted to score the goal. <laughs> hey, can you play defense for a little while? Guess what? You turn around, he takes the ball, and he goes home. <laughs> he did that several times. He wanted to kick his behind for him. But we do that sometimes in our own way. It's my way or the highway. Thank God he grew up. We're still friends. But we do the same things. If things are not done our way or how we think it ought to be done, we whine about it, drag our feet about it, or sulk the whole time so that the whole world knows that we're upset. Grow up. That's what James is saying. Grow up. Be sensitive to the needs of others, whether it be physical, spiritual, or even emotional needs. Again, on the one hand, we can't be belligerent and do things and let other people just get over it. We can't do that. On the other hand, we can't be so super sensitive and get our feelings hurt every single time someone says something that we don't like. Again, the Holy Spirit will guide you and direct you on how to do it and how to solve that question. I mean, that problem there. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit is not just about feeling good when we sing a song and feeling all emotional about things? 
He will guide us in a very practical way in our everyday life. Just not, please don't, I mean, sometimes we need to be careful of the cliches we use. Oh, the anointing was so heavy today, you know. Man, the anointing, the Holy Spirit is with you. He will guide you, not just here in the midst of, at the altar. He will guide you in the way you should go. If you allow him and are sensitive enough to him, he will guide you in every situation out there too. It's the same anointing as such. It's the same Holy Spirit. I felt the presence of the Lord today. He's with you the whole time. If you're not feeling his presence, there's something wrong with you. Sorry, I'm on a roll today. But our sensitivity to others as we mature, we see this in kids. As they grow up, they think about others too. It's the same thing in our spiritual lives. I like Matthew chapter 25, and he talks about at the judgment day. And you don't have to turn there. I'll just tell you the, you know, he talks about how when he was hungry, you fed me. And how you were, you know, when, you were, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. And he talks about all this. And then the person asked, Lord, when did I do all this? You know, you know, so I'm talking about. He says, when did I do all this? And Jesus says, in that, as much as you have done unto the least of these, you have done unto me. And it's interesting. In that portion of scripture, the judgment is not based on how, I mean, the judgment is based on how well we have treated other people. It's, it's kind of amazing. Not just the people here in church, but the people all around us and being sensitive to other people. That's what that person does in Matthew there. When he was thirsty, he gave him something to drink. When he was hungry, he gave him something to eat. When he was naked, he gave him something, I mean, to dress in. When he was in prison, he came and visited him. It's sensitivity to others. And as a mature Christian, we become more and more and more sensitive to those around us. Whether it be physically, spiritually, or emotionally. We don't only think about ourselves. The third test, spiritual growth or maturity. A great test is, do you know when to speak and when not to speak? When to talk and when to basically stay shut up. Because a mature, a spiritually growing man who's becoming complete in Christ knows how to control or master his tongue. James talks about it in chapter 3. And I got to be honest, this is the hardest lesson for me. One of the hardest lessons the Lord has to teach me. And I'm still learning every day. Because I am and I've always been good at those one-line retorts, you know. Those one-liners that just zing people. And I've been really good at that. And I've realized more and more, Sid, shut up sometimes. Don't get back. You don't have to always open your mouth to say something back. Controlling your tongue. You know, James says we all stumble in many ways, you know. And he says, if, uh, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. If he is not at fault in what he says, then he's able to keep his whole body in check. Here's the, truth. Here's the truth, in order to keep my whole body in check, I need to learn to check my words that come out. Check my words. World War II, what was the saying? You know, loose, loose uh, lips, loose ships, right? Loose lips, loose ships. Sink ships, sorry. Loose lips, sink ships. It's the same thing with life. Loose words can sink and destroy a life. Can destroy, totally destroy a life. I found this one person defined gossip as this. Hearing something you like about someone you don't like. And then doing mouth-to-mouth mouth -mouth recitation. How do you say it? Reciting something. I like that. Hearing something you don't like about somebody and basically going and telling everybody else about it. Self-control comes from tongue control, church. Whether we like it or not. Because we get ourselves into so much trouble 
sometimes by the words we speak. And of course, James chapter 3, again, if you go to chapter 3, he gives you uh, the illustration how the tongue is like a rudder or the bit in a horse's mouth or a spark, you know. That small little thing controls this big ship. The small little rudder controls the big ship. And so the tongue has, the same way it has the power to control our whole lives. The truth is what you say directs your life. But also remember this, what you say will also build up someone else or tear someone totally down. A mature Christian knows when to open his mouth and when to stay quiet. Because your tongue is a powerful force for good or evil. You can either encourage or you can discourage. You can either build up or destroy. It's in the power of your words. If you've ever heard of a person saying, I just say what's on my mind, you know, and they pride themselves about being frank and upfront and saying what's on their minds and I just say it as it is and maybe they didn't really have too much in their minds, first of all. And maybe, or maybe what was in their minds doesn't really have to be said. Because when someone is hurting, it's not time for you to tell them about the bad choices they make. Because listen to me, I'm not saying ignore what they have done. We don't pretend it never happened. We just don't sweep things under the rug. But there is a time and place for all that. Please do not pat yourselves on the back, on your back about the frankness that you have. How you speak the truth. Because sometimes speaking the truth in the wrong place is immaturity. Ephesians 4 chapter 29. I think all of us need a... Uh, a shot of tactfulness if there was a shot like that. Ephesians 4.29, it says, Do not let any negative talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up, for building up others according to their needs. Building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Watch what you say. When you talk, you just don't say things to build yourself up. You say things to build others up. It is pretty simple, actually. If it does not build someone else up, it's better not to say it. Even if it's the truth at that moment. If it doesn't build someone up, don't say it. Because that is a mark of mature for you and spiritual growth. Because you need to take a moment and ask yourself before you speak, what, what I am going to say, is it going to build someone up or is it going to tear them down? A mature person manages his words, manages his mouth. He knows when to say something and when to stay quiet. Again, I'm not saying ignore it. But remember, there is a time and a place for everything. Pray about it and then speak again. The Holy Spirit again living in you will give you the wisdom of where and when to speak it. Wait on God for that. Again, church, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. If you can't master your mouth, you've really missed the point of being a Christian. I know it sounds harsh, but James 1.26, it says, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is what? Worthless. Need to read that verse again. Those who consider themselves religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. If I've memorized a thousand verses, like I said, know the book from back to back, cover to cover, go to church every single time, the door is open. But if I cannot control my words, my tongue, all that means nothing. If I gossip, spread rumors, all my spirituality means nothing. If I'm always saying things that are not accurate or exaggerated or speak impulsively, my spirituality really means nothing, is worth nothing. The test of spiritual growth and maturity is to manage our tongues, our mouths, our words. So no corrupt communication, no negative thought comes out of our mouths. Speak the truth in love, right? But speaking... Let me put it this way. Speak the truth in love at the right time, at the right place, with the right motives and with the right attitude. You need to write that down somewhere probably. Speaking the truth in love at the right time, at the right place, with the right motives and with the right attitude. That's when you're showing genuine love. The Bible, like I said, is very practical. 
your attitude, if your attitude is not like Christ, we are missing the point. Let's go. Number four, the fourth test. I warned you I'm going to step on a few toes today. Number four, the fourth test to spiritual growth. Am I building bridges or, my, or do my words and actions cause division? Am I building bridges or do my words or my actions cause division? Cause a mature Christian is a peacemaker, a bridge builder. As Paul says, we have a ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling. James 4, 4 verse 1, it says, What causes the fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? He's talking about conflict within us, the inner quarrels, the fights that we have within us are because of our own desires sometimes. So my question is, what happens when you, when you want something and you don't get it? Are you a bridge builder? Are you a bridge builder or are you creating more divisions in the body of Christ? Do I like to argue? Do I like to be a, am I a contentious person? Do I get offended easily? Do I get defensive easily? Do I hurt other people's feelings? Am I a peacemaker in building the body of Christ, I guess? The mark of a mature Christian is the lack of conflict, not just in his life, but in the life of those around him too. In his interaction or their interactions with people around them. And I love Paul. Paul talking to the church in Corinth. Uh, if you've read Paul, that was his favorite church, literally. Yet he is the harshest with them when it comes to him. And he tells them all the time, you all are a bunch. Basically, he's telling them, you all are a bunch of babies because you whine about everything. He really is. If you read about it, he says, he calls them out, really. Because they complain about the Lord's Supper. So he used to teach them about that. He complains about, you know, one is following this, one is following that. What do we do? Complains about leadership. He has to teach them on the gifts because everybody's doing their own thing. And he's basically telling them, hey, grow up. Grow up. Because we are meant to build the body of Christ, to be bridge builders, not to bring division among the body of Christ. Think about it. Why is there so much conflict in the world? Why is there so much conflict in, in, uh, in marriages all over the place? Why is there so much conflict in the workplace? Why is there conflict with, between me and others sometimes? And I really think the main cause of conflict, and I have two parts right here. One is selfishness, selfishness or pride is one main thing that causes conflict. Because it really is a pride issue. How often, I mean, how do you know if a person is mature? Sometimes I say, look at the prayer he makes. And we talked about this in our small group on Sunday. Because sometimes the prayer is all about God bless me, take care of me, protect me, and everything else. He's not focused on someone else at all. Proverbs 13 verse 10 says, only by pride comes contention. And again, in marriage sometimes, and I said talking to married couples, sometimes husbands and wives the truth is this she's too proud she doesn't want to say sorry and admit she was wrong he's too proud he doesn't want to say sorry and doesn't want to say that he was wrong and just that pride and selfishness there to admit to one another that they were wrong causes conflict i know we don't think about it but that's so true so true the eye in the middle of it all pride guarantees let me say this pride selfishness guarantees conflict whether it be in your own life whether it be in your families whether it be in church workplace whatever it guarantees conflict and i think the other the other source of conflict is being judgmental James 4, if you read 11 and 12, it says, Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? It's kind of interesting. Because there's a difference between being discerning and judging. Being discerning and judging, there's a difference between, two, between the two. And I know the Bible says don't judge. 
But I realize again, what works for me is when I realize, when I judge people, my attitude towards them changes sometimes. I tend to find fault in them a lot more. I tend to think that I have a better idea than them all the time, basically, when I judge people. But we got to learn to discern people, discern rather than judge. Because the truth is this, when I judge people, sometimes I fail to see the image of God in which they were created. I fail to see the image of God that they were created in. And the Bible says, do not judge. Why? Simply because right there in these, two, in these few verses, because there is only one judge and that's God. He knows the whole story. We don't know. We just judge by what they have done. But God knows what's happening in the background. He knows what's happening in their lives. We can't be too quick to judge. We can't be too quick to judge because we do not know all the facts. We don't know what's happening in their hearts. We don't know their hearts. We don't know their intentions either. Only God knows that. God has the right to judge. Again, be careful of conflict. Are you a bridge builder? Are you one who causes division? The fifth test, and we'll finish with this. A mature person or a spiritually person who's spiritually grown has learned to wait on the Lord. Wait patiently on the Lord. And I want to add, wait patiently on the Lord in prayer. We have learned to be patient. Be patient. James 5, it talks about being patient till the Lord's coming. He says, be patient. And sometimes that word just needs to be in all of our, like I said, it's the biggest lesson in today's world. Learning to be patient. Be patient. And he uses, in chapter 5, he uses the example of the farmer. If anybody has got to be patient, it's the farmer because he has to take time. Wait patiently for the crop to grow. It doesn't grow overnight. He has to wait patiently for what is going to happen. Be patient. And that's what he's saying. Be patient for God to work. Be patient for God to answer your prayer. Be patient to wait on God for your miracle. Be patient for God to work not only in your life but in the life of someone else. Be patient and wait on God. Patience is a mark of maturity for real. And you only learn patience really is by waiting on God. Waiting on God in prayer. Now more than ever before because like I said we live in this microwave kind of world where we want everything instantly. We want everything instantly especially I think I really think the number one cause of debt is impatience. Think about it. The number one cause of debt is impatience because especially younger people they want you know they want things and they want it now and it doesn't matter if they have they're like in debt all in debt all the way to their next they don't care they don't think that their parents have taken such a long time to get where they have they want it right there here and now and they get into debt and i think really it's impatience learning to be patient because patience is a mark of maturity a sign of spiritual growth the ability to wait on God for his timing his timing we teach Alyssa and Aiden the difference between no and not yet and they get it confused sometimes because when we say no they think it's when we say not yet they just think it's no and sometimes when we say no they think it's not yet and I think we do the same thing with the Lord We get impatient. When he says not yet, we think he's saying no. It's not that. He's waiting for you to be ready for him to pour out a blessing. He's waiting to prepare people's hearts for them to receive what you have to say. But he's saying not yet. Part of Christian growth and maturity is learning to wait on God. And I love to this. Wait on God in prayer. Because when I wait, I can be anxious and waiting and stress myself just waiting. I wait and I pray. That soothes me. That brings a calmness in my, in my heart and in my mind and in my life. Because then when I pray, I realize God's in control. I just don't wait for God. I wait in prayer. Because then I redirect my situation to God. A mark of Christian growth and maturity is waiting on God in prayer. And I say this all the time. As important as it is to find God's will, it is equally important to find God's timing. Equally important, as important as it is to seek God's will, it is equally important to wait on God's timing because doing the right thing at the wrong time is as disastrous as doing the wrong thing. 
Wait on God. Wait on God in prayer. Because God reassures us that he is in control. I mean, this is true in my lives and Heather's lives right now. We're learning to wait on God and trust him. Because we should have had this baby back in May and June. It's been three months, but he's teaching us through the process to wait on him. Trust his timing. Otherwise, I'd give up hope and get so mad at everybody else. Wait on God. Learn to wait on his timing. How do we handle the pressures of life? Are we really genuinely sensitive to the other people around us, concerned about not just their physical needs, but their spiritual as well as emotional needs and how they feel? Have we really learned to control our tongues and our mouth and our words? Put a muzzle on it as such. Knowing when to speak and when not to speak. Because really the power that you have to speak life or to speak destruction over someone else is amazing. Don't underestimate the power of your words. A mature person knows when to open his mouth and when to keep quiet. Are you a bridge builder? A peacemaker? Before you say anything, are you really stopping to think, is this going to build the body of Christ? What I'm going to say, what I'm going to do, build the body of Christ, or is this going to tear it apart? This is God's church. This is God's house. These are God's people. You don't mess with God. Take time to think about it. That's what mature people do. And again, God will give us wisdom. That's what the Holy Spirit is there for, to be our guide. To say the right things at the right time with the right attitude. Are we bridge builders? And are we willing to wait on God? Be patient for God to work in his time. Bow your heads with me at this time. If you didn't realize, I basically picked a point from every chapter in that book and emphasize again, there's more than that. But I just chose one point from every chapter. And again, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Like I said, the book of James just makes me mad because I'm like, God, come on, God, soften it up a little for me. But God is as practical. He's not going to over-spiritualize everything every time. He just says, hey. Faith without works is what? Dead. Are we growing in Christ? Use this book in the next few weeks. Use this book to measure yourself. Measure your spiritual life. Do a little personal evaluation as, as, as such as you read the word. Read this book of James. Do a personal evaluation. doesn't matter what others think about you. It just matters what you measure yourself against God's word. And then rate your spiritual growth curve and your maturity or whatever you want to call it. Has your attitude, has the inside really been transformed? Transformed by the gospel of Christ. Christ living in you, has it really changed you in the inside out, from the inside out? With all the pressures in life, the problems in life, do we still, can we still really remain positive under that pressure? Sensitivity towards others. Uh, as soon as he started talking, I just tuned out. That's not the way. Oh, they'll get over it. That's not the way. It doesn't deny the problem, but it's learning to seek God. His word, his timing, when to say it. Controlling our tongue, because otherwise, I mean, I'll, that verse is so powerful, verse 26. All your spirituality means nothing if you don't know how to rein in your tongue. Father, I just...
Father, I just come to you just open. Open. I'm not trying to hide. I'm not to pr- trying to pretend because you know it all, God. There's no point in me trying to hide from you. You know me from the inside out. God, and I pray, oh God, that you will expose the things in my life, my the inside, my attitudes, my life inside, God, that I've held on to and been a not grown in those areas god i pray you expose that to us this this morning help me to be a bridge builder god help me to grow in patience lord and teach me to wait on you lord to wait on you lord wait on you in prayer oh god wait on you for the change that needs to happen wait on you for the situation in my life to be fixed wait on you for that problem that i've been going through to be solved wait on you for that healing that i have been waiting for wait on you for that breakthrough that you have promised god wait on you for you to fulfill the promise that you gave me god but teach me to wait on you lord develop my prayer life for god to wait on you more lord because the truth is when we wait on him it's actually just telling him uh, affirming our dependence on him thank you jesus i pray to god thank you for your word god thank you for this book of james oh god that is such a practical manual on christian living i pray a god that it will work in our attitudes our actions our words our thoughts influence our relationships that we have a god whether at home at the workplace or whether in the church i pray a god that this book will just just work do its work in our lives lord help us to mature to grow to be complete to be more like you. We praise you, God.